Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This is your host, David Lewis, and today on the program, I have Amy Ariema. And Amy and I met, oh, now about maybe six, seven months ago. It was one of those meetings when you first connect with someone, you don't realize that you know other people in common. And so we started to get to know one another, and you'll learn more about who Amy is and what she does in just a moment. But then we found, wow, we've got some friends in common. And then those friends in common led to discussions about life and things that we have done. And you know what? We both started our careers at TGI Fridays, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. But uh, Amy, as you'll learn, is one of those agents of change, and she has been leading marketing operations at Infor, and we'll talk about some of the work that she's been doing there. So I hope you enjoy the program, and uh, I just found out last night she enjoyed the Jimmy Buffett concert, so I got a little music for you, Amy. All right. I hope you enjoy that. Amy, welcome to the program. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me, David. Thank you. And um, TGI Fridays, well, you actually had a little earlier career uh, than that. You were a flight engineer in the U.S. Navy. I never did any military time, but my dad sure did. How was that experience? What was it like being part of the Navy? Uh, it was amazing. Uh, it was kind of a spur of the moment decision. Uh, it's a, uh, one of many jobs I had that where I was a, a, a female in a non-traditional female position. Uh, had a great time in the military. Uh, something I didn't want to do for any longer than I did it, but certainly not anything that I would I would change in life. It was a super unique experience. Did you ever go through that point? Because I, you know, I'm just going to be very transparent. Like I was, a, I would be afraid of boot camp and just everything. I'd be like, you know what? I can't handle it. I've I've gone to the gym, you know, and had a trainer one or two times <laughs> where I've been like, okay, I'm going to throw up and I'm never coming back again. So I picture like that's what it would have been like. How was that whole experience of just the intensity of? Like, you know, it's funny. Have you ever done a CrossFit class? Like, I feel like, like I feel like in a CrossFit class, like they're always like, like, have you ever done, like, like the instructor will look at you and be like, hey, have you ever done a thrust or have you ever done a whatever they call the exercise? And you look at them, and you say no, and then they do, they show you how to do an eight count bodybuilder, which is a very common exercise in boot camp, and then you say, oh, well, certainly I did that in actual boot camp in the actual military. We just called it something different. They act like they invented the exercise. Um, no, you know, I don't think, um, typical to how I have always approached life. I don't think I thought about it enough or long enough to let it worry me or scare me. I think if I, if I thought about it long enough, it might've intimidated me a little bit, but I just, you know, I just did it. It never, it never crossed my mind. I don't think to to let it worry me or intimidate me at all. I actually found it. I was older than most of my compatriots in boot camp because I went into the Navy after I graduated from college. So most of the people that I was in, that were in my boot camp company were recent high school graduates, and I was a recent college graduate. So um, in that uh, in that environment, I was older um, by a couple of years than most of the people that I was around, and so I. Think I think I had a slightly different perspective, and I found it uh, I found it mildly amusing uh, when I was there because it was just God. Everybody took it so very seriously, and I uh, 
although it's certainly a very serious environment, right? Because you're learning a lot of stuff and it's very, um, it's important what you're learning. Um, but at the same time, you've got these people who are just like screaming right in your face and, you know, spit flying everywhere. And, um, I, I did find moments of it, um, entirely entertaining and, uh, you know, you get fit all at the same time fitness and and devoting your uh yourself to our country well thank you for your service and actually thank you for being a wonderful client learning a lot about what you guys are doing and as you know we become a partner of infor and that is fun to help you guys grow your business in that capacity oh yeah we're excited about that tgi fridays so you were general manager i was a food server uh and it was you know i it was the best sales training I ever had in my career. I kid you not, because the general manager that I had when they onboarded us, and I don't know if this is training across the whole organization, but he would say, okay, so you're a food server, and of course you think your job is to you know, serve the food and take orders and that type of stuff. He's like, it's not. Your job is to achieve a $21 check average per person sitting at this table. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, what, what's that? And so you went through exactly how to do suggestive selling and timing and the upsells and cross-sells. And like, it has stuck with me what, wait, you know, what, 40 years later or something like that, 35 years later. And um, just really good training. It was a good, good program. And I, uh, I overshare when I tell people like, yeah, I was like a starving student. So yeah, I would, le- I would eat the leftover appetizer on the way back to the kitchen that no one touched. And my friends would be like, that's disgusting. I'm like, do you touch the last appetizer? And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, nobody does. So that was, that was my dinner. Is that disturbing? I, can rem- I don't think so. I can remember. So I ran, um, I actually worked for Fridays. I worked for the company Fridays, but I worked, um, uh, Fridays tends to have specialty concepts. So I actually, I ran a specialty concept called Italianis, um, for Fridays. And I remember it was, it was after I was in the military and I remember one particular shift. I made the same server cry three times in one night. I was working. It was a very, very busy night and I was working the service bar. I had gone behind the bar to help out the bartenders because they were failing miserably. So I was working the service bar just to like move through the drinks because nobody was, they, they just weren't, they weren't getting it done. And so I was working the service bar and the same waitress had come up to the service bar and I must've just yelled at her too many times, but I made her cry several times, three times, one night. And she looked at me and I will never forget this night. She looked at me, oh, back up. I will agree. Greatest training program right. on earth. Totally agree. And so, but she looked at me. I will never forget this. She looked at me and she said, Jesus Christ, Amy, it's just fucking pasta. <laughs> Nobody's going to die. And she walked away from this service bar. And, you know, there is a certain amount of transition between military and civilian life. And she, oh, I thought about it for a second. I was like, oh my God, she's so right. It is just fucking pasta. <laughs> and so I went out, I went and I found her and I apologized. And it takes a lot sometimes for me to apologize. I was like, you are so right. And I am so wrong. Like nobody is going to die. I'm not in the military anymore. You are totally. And I really, I've taken that lesson with me for, and I actually just said that to somebody the other day. I was like, cause somebody was really stressed out. We had some, we had a lot of churn going on in the organization. There's a lot of change management going on yeah. right now. And I, I said that to, I was like, you know what? 
it really, we're just selling software. Like nobody's going to die. It's just change. Like, you know, like keep calm, carry on. We're just selling software. Like it's all going to be okay. The sun rises, the sun sets, you know, that kind of a message. And whenever I have to deliver that kind of a message in the organization or to somebody like whether it's a colleague or an employee or anybody, whether, you know, friend or coworker, I think about that gal in that restaurant on that night that I made cry. And then I went up to the parking lot and found her and apologized when she just screamed at me because <laughs> she had just, she had totally had enough. And that was like, that was a real moment for me when I realized I am no longer in the military yeah. and I need to say please. And I need to say thank you. <laughs> And I need to realize that life is different. Just but yeah, I totally agree with you on the training yeah. bro. Yeah, it's we, just We pasta. tell our team that too. I mean, you know, we're not finding the cure for cancer at Demand Gen. We, exactly. we are helping yeah. to do some, you know, things for, for our clients that are not easy, but we just try to keep things in perspective. By the way, um, I don't know if everybody knows Infor. You know, they don't, do they know that this is a $3 billion software company, 16 thousand employees so you you have a lot of responsibility running marketing operations for a really big company that is still you know um it's it's amazing when i tell people oh, we're working with them for oh what do they do who do they, who are they because you've done so much rebranding and stuff how did you let's talk about your career path because it's kind of a bit of unnatural acts right of where you where you ended up and starting in in customer service so how how did one thing lead to another or or not yeah, it's I, I, yeah, it definitely. I didn't plan on being here. That's for sure. Yeah, Infor is a huge company. Um, if you'd have told me, you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, that this is where I would be, I definitely would not have predicted it or probably believed you. Um, you know, when I, I went from you know food service and hospitality and tending bar into you know the Navy after college, and then out of that back into food service. Um, but uh, it was really. Um, and then from there, I, <laughs> I went to, there's a, there's a leap of faith that I took where I moved to the Caribbean, um, for a period of time and ran a dive shop for a few years. Um, Wait a second. Let's, and then I, let's I, pause there. Cause you're the person who everyone says, you know what? You can always just pack it all up and go open a scuba dive shop. And you actually did that. You totally can. And you did that. Yeah, I did. Which is, uh, actually where we have a connection, yes, you and I do. Um, so, but I did do that, uh, for a while. And, uh, I, I made that decision very similarly to how I made the decision to join the Navy. Right. I woke up one morning and said, I'm bored. And I just, uh, I moved to St. Thomas for a while, but when I came back from there, I was, uh, I was looking for a job and my sister, oddly enough, had a, had a position in it at a restaurant management company. Um, and she, uh, she offered me a job. Um, they had some temps in there doing some data entry. And I ended up going in and doing that as a way to earn some money while I was looking for a job, just ended up uh, uh, creating value, right? Uh, they, you know, I just, I was smart and I ended up working there for two or three years. But, uh, but it was just, you know, it was a moment in time, but it made sense to me, right? It was, it was, it was a restaurant management company. I, I knew food service. Um, this was, you know, back before the internet even existed. Right. And yeah. so our, or maybe it existed, but I wasn't very familiar with it. And technology was simply, you know, it just made things that made sense, right. It was math. It was, you know, numbers and things that you, you, know, you logically fit together. And so, um, it was a, it was a small restaurant management company that had their, they had their own proprietary software and 
So I um, became a systems analyst for them and it was really just sort of dumb luck. You know, um, I was there and somebody was on vacation and I ended up uh, filling in for them while they were on vacation. And then I ended up working there for a couple of years. And uh, and then all of a sudden IT was on my resume. Um, and it was really just a matter of looking around and saying, hey, I can do that. And I'm smart enough to learn that. And uh, I'm smart enough to do that, too. And hey, this person, you know, this this thing is kind of screwed up and I can probably improve that process. And. And because they had their own proprietary software, they they didn't uh, they didn't have any training manuals, and they didn't um, they didn't know how to teach their restaurant managers. This was kind of an interesting thing. So it was an Applebee's franchise group. So you know, very similar to Fridays. Yeah. Um, so I created the I wrote a training manual for their software, and then I would drive around and uh, teach their restaurant managers how to use their software. You know, and um, so I did that for a few years, and then all of a sudden I was uh, then I then all of a sudden I had um, I was implementing software, and then I was training people on software, and and then I got a job uh, being an implementation coordinator, right? So you know then I then I you know invented a job title, <laughs> right? Um, but eventually I left to another software company that. Um, that did um, that ended up being acquired by another company um, called yep. Barrett. Um, and that's where I really grew my career path was um, so I started there teaching people in the training department. Um, I started there doing you know installations and working in their training department, but um, ended up really as the director of operations for all of professional services and customer service. Um, you know, I, you know, found a mentor there, um, which I think is a great thing to have. It's a, you know, an organic relationship, but, um, you know, I just really, it was all for me at, at that company in the, you know, nine or 10 years that I yeah. worked there, it was really about, like I said earlier, you know, just like looking around and seeing where can I create value? You know, where is there an opportunity to improve and raise my hand and say, I can do that. I can fix right. that. I can do that better. And it was a totally organic process. And um, after that job, I came to Infor after that, you know, sort of meteoric career path within that one organization, I came to Infor to really run sales operations. And within Infor, recognized the opportunity. We didn't really, we didn't have any marketing operations at Infor to speak of. Um, and we had some, we had some real organization, we had some internal organizational change that really called for some operational efficiency within the demand generation and marketing organizations. And, you know, I raised my hand to, to help out. Um, and it was, it wasn't so much about marketing per se. It was really about operational and organizational efficiency, yeah. um, to help out some, some of our leadership to say, you know, how can we, how can we make marketing and demand gen run more like a business? How can we make it a profit center more than a cost center? And, uh, and that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, five, six years ago, I was a party of one and now I have a global organization of 30 people. And, uh, and we're really, you know, we we've modernized and revolutionized marketing operations at Infor, and it's just it's it's been quite a path. It has, you know, what's interesting, and I'm I'm fortunate to be doing all of the different podcasts and doing the interviews for the book that I'm working on, which you know my working title is Agents of Change, and you, as I said, are one of those agents of change. I hope people listening in and eventually as people read the book see the common patterns. And so let me replay for you what I've I've been picking up. 
So you never set out to do what you're doing. There was never the defined, I'm going to go be the head of marketing operations of a $3 billion software company and climb the corporate ladder. What you said is, I would you know, raise my hand. I would look for ways to create value and go after it. And Sam Melnick on a previous podcast talked about that, creating your own position, finding opportunities to create value. Um, there's such a common pattern with the people that are um, high achievers, successful people, where they don't necessarily look for a job role or even necessarily a specific company. They have established their own career ladder, and they're climbing it, and they look for, for ways to do that. And I hope people pick up on this pattern because I'm certainly seeing it with the people that are achieving um, great, great success. And you you just told the story of your career journey very similar to so many other folks that uh, I've been interviewing and talking with. It's fascinating. Um, definitely a big, big takeaway. You know, the military background, I want to come back to that because, you know, when I've sat in your office, uh, Amy, and we've talked about you as a leader and how you onboard employees, you're intense. You, you know that. You're very friendly and playful. Um, you have that that sweet side. And you also, someone used to call me and say, Dave, you're, you're kind of sweet and sour. And I'm like, what is that? And they go, well, you're, you're, you're <laughs> intense, but you're also playful as well. And I see similar um, personality traits in you. And I, you know, you, you shared me your Amy's Peeve list, uh, your PowerPoint slides, which I got a kick out of. T- talk a little bit about that for those that haven't seen that as, uh, you know, protocol in the office. Yeah, I have a my uh, my employees will attest to the fact that I have a I have a I have a deck that uh, that starts with a couple of things that I don't allow people to say in my organization. So I really I try to coach my employees through instilling confidence in themselves in in others in what they have to say. So one thing that I notice that and I really want I, I think that it's part of a commonality in language today because it's certainly not just my employees who do it. I hear it in meetings all the time. People say phrases like kind of, sort of, I think, I'm kind of going to do this, or we sort of did that, or we're sort of going to do this. And they don't actually mean that, right? They're, they're talking about, and I hear people, they're in meetings right? And they're talking about a project and they're talking about like something that they're actually going to do, right? They're talking about a timeline in a project and they say, well, we sort of did this or we're kind of going to do it this way. And I kind of think about this and it, it, it's this conversational tick and it's almost like filler. It's, it's the ums and the Mm -hmm. yas of today in like this corporate speak that people have and what it does and I don't know if you've ever heard, like, if you know what I mean by upspeak, right? So it's it's a very millennial um, way that people have of speaking where they end things um, like a question, um, which tends to also not instill confidence in what you're saying. Instead of saying something like, hey, I really like my job. I really like my job. Right. And it's, it does the same thing instead of saying a declarative statement yep. and you know that you mean what you say, it's it, it sends a message to somebody that you're actually questioning what you're saying and you're not. Right. And so I try to and, and it's not just it, I, I, I couch it as like I present it as like it's a pet peeve of mine, which it is because it's a conversational pet peeve. But I'm also trying to coach right. my team 
through, like, tell people what you mean, like have confidence in what you're saying. Tell all of these people that you're actually revolutionizing this tech stack. You are bringing to bring, you're bringing so much value to the table. You're revolutionizing their lives. You're making, because the nature of an operational organization is to fix everybody's problems, right? You're making their lives better every day. That's what you're doing all the time. An operations organization is fixing people's problems. Every single, like that's all you're doing all the time. You're, you're fixers, you're problem solvers, you know, and that's, that's what you're doing 24 seven. If you're not doing that, then you're not working in operations. Like you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs, right? You might as well like actually be a marketer, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what the nature of operations is fixing problems. So like if they, if they, if they use all those conversation fillers, then the people that they're talking to lack are going to lack confidence in what they're saying. So I coach them through, I have this one slide that says it's got little animated bitmoji of me like passing out from frustration (laughs) that says like, here are the things that you shouldn't say. But I also have on the other side of the slide, here are things that you can say instead. Right. I am going to or I did do this or I will do this or I can't do this unless you do this for me or I can't meet this deadline because, you know, giving people clear and specific deliverables that you need them to meet in order to meet a deliverable they've asked you for. Right. Being very clear with people as well as um, making sure like, like just all kinds of communication things. Right. That I think that we we tend to not coach through in corporate America today because we don't teach people how to be yeah. in meetings because we because we're we're in this like we're in this weird period of remote America. That's another thing. I also make people be on video all the time. It's so irritating to everyone. Like oh, everybody's in their great. baseball hats because they all work yeah. from home and everybody has their cameras on. But it like because I'm trying to bring back another like a more human level of communication absolutely you know and it and and it really it's and i'm trying to coach them to be better communicators and better deliverers of you know what is the real news and how am i going to make it through this project with collaboration from you as my customer does that make sense yeah and and i want as you're you know i've got uh two daughters about to graduate uh college you've got three do you do you see a pattern between women and men and and them doing this as in like are more women talking this way or more men talking this way when it comes to because you're trying to instill confidence in how they communicate and and bring conviction to what they're saying and even if it's going to fail you have conviction about it and then just go fail um but are you seeing any any gender differences between these communication styles no okay <laughs> you probably wanted a longer answer. No, I'm I, thinking I, about that a little bit, and I'm thinking about the men and the women on my team, and I really don't, right? And maybe it's an age. I, I think I have a very, I have some pretty similarly aged people. I think it's generational. generational. I think it's more generational than gendered um, in the in the in the speech patterns and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really. I don't really see a gender differential as much as I see a, an an age differential in the in the speech patterns. But I definitely think. I do think that it has so much to do, though. I've really been thinking about that a lot lately. I think it has so much to do with how 
separated we all are by the fact that we're so remote and so few of us are around and maybe this is specific to Infor, right? Because we're a very remote workforce, but so few of us are around people all the time that I think that 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 a lot of it has to do with the very very remote nature of our communication styles. You know, another, another pattern uh, that I'm seeing, and again, I don't know if it's an error. You know, my dad worked for the government for uh, I think 30 years, right? And when when he's oh, my dad yeah. too. And and you and I both did long stints. Um, you you used the words. I think it was like where I grew up. Um, at Verant, I was at Fairlawn, uh, later rebranded to Natopia. I was there for almost 10 years. And I do feel the same way that by being in a place for a long period of time, even though I had different roles and responsibilities, I really developed a lot of tremendous skills. And I'm wondering if people miss that because today people are hopping around so much a year here, two years here, th- you know, maybe three years. I mean, we're very blessed at Demangen that we have people have been here for eight or nine years. A company's only almost 11 years old. And we have people here that are, you know, almost fully tenured, um, which is great. Uh, but I think that I'm seeing, again, these patterns of people who have risen to great levels of success that they didn't just hop, 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 hop to get there. There was a place where they really developed and matured um, their skill sets and, and expertise. And, and curious, any perspective from you on that? Yeah, I think I do think that tenure has something to do with your ability to mature in the workforce and to gain the kinds of skill sets that we're talking about. But I also think that, you know, being lucky enough to happen into a real mentorship kind of a relationship, mm-hmm. which again, I did mention I, I did mention that that that's that that has to be a very organic kind of a relationship, right? But but being able to find that kind of a relationship in your life, mentorship, sponsorship, those kinds of things, right? Where you find people in your life and it doesn't just have to be one person, right? Where you find, and I try very hard to do it myself with as many people as I possibly can, right? To provide that kind of service, counsel, leadership. Um, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, like sometimes I think people think of mentorship too formally. Um, it can be very casual, right? But as long as you can reach out to, as long as you feel like you have trusted advisors, people in your work life that you can trust to ask advice of, people that you can trust to give you honest feedback, um, people who who have you know, political capital in your organization, people that you think will stick up for you, you know, in your life that will, that will give you some amount of guidance that potentially have your back people who will do like people who can form a lot of different functions for you in your life. That also comes with a certain amount of tenure in an organization, right. And, and being able to find and foster and, um, and develop and grow those kinds of relationships, I think also is very helpful in developing a lot of those skill sets as well, because when you do do a lot of hopping around, which is very common in technology, um, I, I think you, I think you miss out on some of that, right? And you can get that with a tenure in a single company. You can also get that with tenure in strategic volunteering, yep. right, in the technology community as well, right? But, but it does, it, it, it does require, I think, some sort of length of service 
either within an organization, whether it be work or volunteerism or something like that, so that you do have the time to develop the kinds of relationships that are yeah. required. One, one of those 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 points I want to come back to that you made is, you know, the people that I work with for that decade um, in my career, I am still close with many of them to your point to these days. In fact, I'm going to have Georgian on the podcast coming up soon. And Georgian also was at Fairland Utopia for, I think, even longer than a decade. And so she and I still, you know, communicate and stay in contact as well as others in the organization because we had such a tight bond. Wouldn't surprise me, right, if, if you're still talking to people in your unit uh, back from uh, in mm-hmm. the Navy, right, and folks at, at Verant because, you know, you've gone to battle together, literally and metaphorically, you know, and when you've worked together for so long and build businesses, that calling upon those relationships, people who really actually know you, they know your strengths, they know your weaknesses, and they can help you in development, that network. Um, you you do not just um, focus on uh, you know your your immediate team, but you're involved in the uh, veterans info network, right? And you're encouraging hiring managers to bring veterans um, onto the team, which I think is incredible. Also, the women's info network and the women in tech in Georgia. So you you know you you form different networks um, all around you and and able to benefit from those relationships, but also give a lot to those relationships. And that, again, are patterns that I'm seeing around folks like you, these these agents of change. Can I ask you about why the heck did you get ISO certified? Because I, I want to leave. I want to. <laughs> so <yeah>. random. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you do your research, you're like, really? Where was that from? But I, I, I'm teeing you up for the a bigger question, which is, did you ever want to be a CMO? And why are you choosing the operations path of marketing versus either the CMO or the creative side, because I think a lot of people in their career, especially as they get to leadership roles, are thinking, where where's my path taking me to? And so, um, you know, to get ISO certified, and, and you're very passionate about marketing operations, um, if you can shed some light, that would be great. So those are two different questions. I'll answer them individually. Um, So ISO certification. So that was when I worked at Varent. And uh, we had to get ISO certified. I have to think. We had to get ISO certified as a company for... For some sort of regulatory reason, I think it was a, I, th- I think it was something, it had something to do with one of our customers, right? We had to, there was some big customer that we had and for, to get them as a customer, we had to get ISO certified or something like that. Anyway, so I was uh, tasked with it. Right. I, I, I'm sure I raised my hand. Or, I was like, I'll do that. I'll, I'll lead the certification process. Exactly. I'll do that. <laughs> uh, although, do you know what Navy stands for? No. Side note, Navy stands for never again volunteer yourself. <laughs> you, you, you missed that day in the program. I never, I, I, I never did no. learn that lesson, though. Um, anyway, so, but, and I will say that um, I think I've told you this before, right? right? ISO certification really spoke to me. I didn't realize that it would, but it really spoke to me because it's all about, and I know that people probably think this is like dull as doornails, but it, it really spoke to me because it's all about like closed loop feedback and continuous improvement. And I was like, Oh, this is totally makes sense to me because it's really kind of how I, it's, it's how I live my life. Right. It's, it, it was like, this makes sense because this is how I do things. And operationally speaking, it really, that's, it's just what I do. I am a problem solver. I'm a fixer. I see things that are broken and it is in my nature to go to figure out a way to make things better. Um, So when we talk about marketing operations, I am not a marketer by nature, although many of my colleagues yell at me when I say that these days because I've been doing marketing operations for so long now that I actually am a marketing professional. And so 
I do know a lot more about marketing today than I knew about marketing five years ago, six years ago, one year ago, two years ago. Um, but the creative side of it has never really spoken to me. Um, it is not, it, it's not anything that I think I would actually excel mm -hmm. at. I am a very operational person. Um, I, a CMO is not, at, it's, it's not also CMO isn't, isn't a path that I, would be interested in taking COO actually is, is something that would be much more in my, in my wheelhouse. Um, as far as a career path is concerned, mm -hmm. I do love marketing operations. Uh, I, I came from a sales ops background and a customer service operations background and a professional services operations background. Um, and, and then came to marketing operations. I love marketing operations. I had no idea how much I would love it, but I've really loved building the organization that I have built. And it is, you know, marketing is the one part of corporate America that I really didn't have any exposure to, right? I've done development, I've done IT, I've done customer service, professional service. I had done just about everything, sales. I'd done everything but marketing. And when I moved over to the marketing side of the house, that really rounded out, um, and I've done finance too, right? So that really rounded out my the area of the business um, for me. So if I really had a place to go from here, it would definitely be COO if I was going the the C route. Um, but I would say I'm I'm very happy where That's I awesome. am. I I love marketing ops. I love Infor, and I love I love what I do, and I love really what we're what we're doing at Infor, which is which is forging a path and 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 modernizing the way Infor does business from a marketing perspective and and really monetizing what what we do in in the marketing organization and and every day and within marketing we we realize more and more that marketing is a business and it's not a cost center it's a revenue center and uh and i evangelize about that all the time and uh and i think we're i think we're super we're super forward thinking at Infor as far as marketing is concerned you so you know i'm just happy to be a part and of it you're fearless um you know you've just switched marketing automation systems like you said you you love marketing operations you love the tech stack and uh, you're trying new tools and integrating those tools and building out your team. Now, your passion shares, and that's what I hope with the podcast, especially when I you know, do the, the sessions on Agents of Change, that people hear the patterns, they hear the passion, they hear um, the expertise that is brought to these different roles so that they can think about their own career paths and where they're going. Let me ask you one last question before we wrap up, because I know it's nearing the top of the hour. And for you at this time, that means uh, HQ trivia time. So I don't want to compete with that. It's, <laughs> Hopefully one of these days I'll win. Maybe I'll win like a dollar. <laughs> if, if you if you are listening and you don't know what HQ trivia is, search that app on your mobile phone. Amy turned me on to it. And uh, now I'm a little bit addicted, but we, we digress. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question because I know how driven you are. I know how hardworking you are. I'm often not surprised when I reach out to you and you're either still at the office, but um, you're also accessible, you know, weekends, nights, when, whenever we need to chat about something. So how do you deal with balance? I mean, you are a wife, you are a senior leader in a very large company, and you are a mother of three wonderful kids. So how do you find balance um, doing all those things successfully? You know, I actually, I think it's really easy. So for me, I'm so accessible all the time because I make myself accessible to the rest of my life all the time, right? So people, I think, are always... 
people think you should turn off, um, you know, when it's, when it's family time and things like that, or when you're on vacation, for me, I make myself accessible to work as often as I make myself accessible to family. And I'll explain that just a little bit. Right. So, you know, when it's, you know, like right now I'm at my house, right. And when my, so I will be, I'm far more accessible when I work from home because I didn't take the time to get in my car and drive to my yeah. office. Um, I'm not going to take the time to pack up my stuff and drive back home. I'll be here when the bus gets home. I will not pay attention to my computer for the time it takes for me to turn around and see my kids walk in the door and ask everybody how their day was and make sure everybody does their homework. But then I'll turn right back around while they're doing their homework and look at my computer and make sure that there's no budgeting crisis or anything like that. Right. So I find it very easy and, and maybe it's because I'm a master multitasker. <laughs> um, I find it very, very easy to pay attention to all of it all the time and to make sure that I am very focused on the task at hand um, so that I can juggle all of those things as appropriate and to turn off one or the other in the moment, um, which is why I find it amazingly convenient that I can be a remote person yeah. um, as often as as often as is humanly possible, right? I go to my office when I need to, but I also work from home when I need to, and that makes me very very accessible to my children and to my wonderful dog. So so it's that that really makes it um, that makes me uh, that makes that balance um, very easy for me to to handle and makes me super accessible to my family, but also available all the time, right? Because, you know, my kids are old enough, they would prefer for me to not be in their business 24 seven. So it's that it's that remote working and that that capacity yeah. that the that technology gives us to be around all the time and my ability to multitask that I find that that that's where the balance comes in. Awesome. For me. Well, thank you. Did you hear my alarm? I, is that on? the HQ trivia alarm? That was my HQ timer. Well, with that sound, we're going to wrap it up. But I will say very quick, because I know there's a lead in and you've got a couple extra minutes there. I'm a huge fan of remote working. Clearly, Demand Gen, we've won Best Place to Work um, multiple times, and it's very often for flexibility. We're 70-plus people, and I think 85% of our team works out of their home across North America, and they love it. And clearly, as I said, they're here for long, long periods of time. It's, it's great. And if we don't figure out how to do alignment and collaboration as companies virtually, we're never going to solve the congestion and commute problem. we got to give hours back in people's lives. So we, it's worth the effort to figure out how to make it work. Kudos to you and the team for getting on video regularly because it does close the virtual gap. And uh, love it. Thank you, Amy. I know you're crazy busy these days. I really appreciate you taking time to share um, your perspectives and your career journey uh, with others because you know we're we're developing, um, as I said, some really good patterns here that we're finding in, in successful agents of change. So I'm gonna let you go win thousands of dollars on HU trivia and not get in the way of that. But uh, thank you again. Enjoyed having you on the program. Thanks so much, David. I'll talk to you soon. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Uh, and I'll let all of you get back to your day. Catch you on the next episode. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.